church. Miss Rebecca Walsh, she's at the back door waiting for you. Our second graders and below, there she is. Y'all have a wonderful time with Miss Rebecca Walsh. Parents, if you don't know, they go right down the hall. They don't even leave the building. All right, if you have your Bible, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll start our reading in, verses eight, in verse 18. 1 Peter chapter 2. Heard a story, you've probably heard this before. A thief broke into a house one night, <clears throat> was getting ready to rob the place, and as he rounded the corner and was robbing, putting stuff into his bag or whatnot, he heard this voice come out. God is watching you. Well, it startled him. He turned off his flashlight and he thought, what in the world was that? Then he, 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 he didn't hear anything else for a little bit. It was completely dark. He thought, well, maybe, maybe I just imagined it. So he turned his flashlight back on and he started ransacking the house again. And he heard it again. It was clear as a bell. God is watching you. Startled him, but he decided to leave his flashlight on and began searching through the house. Where is that voice coming from? And as he rounded a corner, he saw up against the wall a cage with a bird in it. And there it was. As soon as he saw the bird and he flashed his light on the bird, the bird said it again, God is watching you. And he thought, well, that sure is funny. That bird scared me to death. <clears throat> I wonder what kind of people would teach their bird to say, God is watching you. Well, he decided, I'm going to go back to robbing the place. As that is, he turned back to start robbing the place again. There before him was a snarling, growling, drooling Rottweiler. And from behind him was that bird saying, Sick him, God. God is watching you. The last time we were in 1 Peter, the title of our message was, The World is Watching You. You remember that? It was a couple of weeks ago. We took a couple of weeks off for getting prepared for the revival and then the actual week of the revival. And How many of you were just blessed in the revival? I know I was. I've heard nothing but wonderful reports back from you. But it's time to get back to 1 Peter. And, and that basic message of the last time we were in 1 Peter was, the world is watching us. And because we say that we are Christians, the world needs to see us acting differently. We are aliens or sojourners or pilgrims is what Peter says in uh, the chapter 2 that we looked at last time. And because of this, we must realize we're supposed to look different because of Christ. We're supposed to look different from the rest of the world because Christ is in us. One of the reasons that Peter is going to make mention of this word submit is because there's a great need for Christians to look different from the rest of the world when it comes to this word submit. We'll get to that in, in just a second. And there seems to be, perhaps we could say, a slight sense of judgment in that idea that the world is watching us. And so we have to be careful of what we're doing in in the sight of the world so that they do not <clears throat> they do not see our testimony weakened our testimony that Christ has made us different we are supposed to be different from the world so we need to live in light of that and that doesn't negate forgiveness and the mercy of God on our lives when we do mess up when we do commit sin but it is just we need to understand the world is watching us okay <clears throat> And so in that, we talked about our need to submit to the government authority. That's where we were. Today, we're looking at a different type of submission. And all of this is in light of chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter makes this statement. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Church, 
we are different from the rest of the world. It's if you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're supposed to be set apart. Not better than, not better than the world, just different. Because Christ is in us and it should make a difference. <clears throat> and so what we look at today in verses 18 through 25 is a different submission. Whereas in the previous section it was submitting to the government, today we're talking about submitting to bosses. We're going to get there in just a second. And being that they were believers in a world, the people that Peter is talking to here in 1 Peter, they were persecuted Christians. They had been running away from persecution. And being that they were believers in a world that did not look kindly upon Christians, is that starting to sound familiar in our day? They faced suffering for a variety of reasons. And one of the reasons that Peter is going to touch on is suffering at the hand of unjust bosses. And so in the midst of their suffering, they needed this message. Not that God is watching you, and I added this, God is watching over you. See, there's, there's a little bit of hope in that, right? <clears throat> when we say God is watching you, it kind of is like, whoo, okay, that Rottweiler ready to sick us. But God is not a Rottweiler ready to sick us. God is watching over us. He is a caring, compassionate God who loves us, and He sees what we're going through. And part of the reason that I entitled it that God is watching over you, God is watching over us, is because the last verse of this section, verse 25, he says, he refers to God as the shepherd and overseer. God is a shepherd that cares for the flock, an overseer that is always watching closely over his people. We're going to get to that. We'll get to verse 25. We need to read our scripture. Looking at verses 18 through 25, 1 Peter chapter 2. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Verse 25 for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pause a moment for prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place, and we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray those two things would be ever-pervading in our thoughts, our minds, and our hearts. Lord, that you would get me out of the way and any other distractions in our life out of the way. Lord, that you would speak clearly to all of us through your word this morning that you might change us in your will and change us in the way we should go, Lord, that, that we would not leave this place the same way we walked in. And it's in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Like I said, like, like I said a few weeks ago when we were in the scripture, verses 13 through 17, we left off with this word submit. Whereas we were called on to submit to the government, now Peter is telling the persecuted Christians to submit to their masters. This is all part of that bigger application. What are we supposed to look like as Christians in this world that we are living in? I need to talk about a couple of words, though. 
The first word is this word servant. What does that word mean exactly? When we see that word servant, sometimes our, uh, we've been taught to, to, to think that that, of that word as slave. In fact, some of your translations might call it a slave, but it's a little bit different from a doulos, which is the Greek, normal Greek word for servant. This is an, uh, another word that is actually to be translated house servant or domestic servant. Anybody here have a maid living in your house? Yeah, I don't think so. Not in southeast Texas, right? That's not how we do things. We don't have that sort of thing. And so this is not really like the 18th, 19th century idea of the word when we say slave, like, we, like these people kidnapped from their nations, uh, or even in the Egyptian culture where they kidnapped the Israelites and made them into slaves. This has to do with someone that is really a voluntary servant. They have sold themselves into being an indentured servant. And it's voluntary, it's car and it carried with it many privileges, including uh, promotion, education, and these servants actually could earn their own freedom. So it's a little bit, it's, it's, it's in fact a whole lot different from what we might think of as being a slave. So how do we relate this? If none of us have maids, or none of us are maids in the sense that we live in somebody's house as their servant, how do we relate this? Well, the scripture most closely applies today to the employer-employee relationship. Right? If you have a boss, you can relate to this. And it doesn't everybody have a boss? Men, if you're married, you have a boss. Now, I asked my wife, and she said I could say that to be funny, which just proves my point. I have a boss, right? Submit. But why do we have such a hard time with that word? In fact, I almost entitled this sermon, Submit is not a four-letter word. Submit. Why? is that so hard? The actual word means that we literally put ourselves under another. And, and actually can be translated to stand up for yourself under something else. In other words, it means that you willingly yield to someone or something. That, that's hard, right? To willingly yield yourself. In other words, nobody makes you do it, you do it of your own accord. Hear what Peter is saying. Servants, submit to your masters. Why is submitting so hard though? I want to give you three quick, real, real quick reasons why submitting is so hard. Number one is it takes humility. It takes humility to submit. Humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. It says, I know I have needs and I know I have wants, but I'm not going to think about those needs and wants. I'm going to put somebody else's needs and wants ahead of my own. It says, instead of saying, how will this affect me, fill in the blank, whatever you want, instead we say, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to leave that in God's hands. And Jesus knew this would be an issue for us. This is why when he invited those to follow him, the invitation came with this, lay down your life and pick up the cross. His invitation to follow him was an invitation to humbling ourselves. When we talk about secrets to success, the Bible gives us the secret to success. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Submission is hard because it requires us to humble ourselves and to not think about ourselves or our needs or our wants. Submission is also hard because it requires recognition of others. You see, Submission is not about me, it's about somebody else. In the working environment, 
it says, I realize there's a job that needs to get done. I, needs, I realize there is a task that needs to be fulfilled. It realizes that others have gifts and abilities and responsibilities. So when we talk about submitting to a boss, it means that we submit to their authority and recognize that their success is riding on our willingness to submit to their leadership no matter what and to recognize that there is something greater than ourselves. So submission is hard because, one, it takes humility. Two, it takes recognizing that others have needs and putting those needs ahead of our own. There's a third reason that submission is hard, because it takes faith. Faith that we don't have to worry about how our lives are going to turn out. We turn that over to God. It leads to this idea of, the reason we often do not submit is because we want to make sure we are taken care of. Our needs, our designs, our plans, our ambitions. Submission requires that we trust God with our lives. We trust God with our desires. We trust God with our ambitions. We trust God with the outcome of our efforts. The model that God laid out for us was this. If you want to be first, then be last. If you want to be greatest, then you must serve. And When we put ourselves under another, then we are saying, I'm not going to worry about my outcome. I'm going, to, I'm going to work for them, and I'm going to trust God with the outcome. When we put others before ourselves, when we put their needs above our own needs, we are manifesting a faith in God that He will take care of our lives no matter what. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard and try to succeed. It doesn't mean that we can't have ambition. I'm not saying that but it means that we trust the results to God in the long run, what those results will look like. Now, submission is easy when you've got a good boss. Submission is easy when you've got a boss that is encouraging and, and lifts you up, or even a generous boss that pays you well. But that's not what Peter wants to deal with in this scripture. What if you suffer at the hands of a bad boss? My version of the Bible, verse 18, says harsh. Some of yours may say cruel. Some of them may say unjust or unreasonable. What if your boss is just cruel? What if he is immoral? What if he or she is a bad boss? Understand what Peter is saying here. He is saying that living a godly life in the workplace may cause us to take a stand for morality and ethics. A good boss will reward you for this. A bad boss, a bad boss, they try to get you fired, they try to make you quit, may treat you horribly for taking a stand. He might try to get you to quit, he might, he might try to make you look bad. But submitting to our boss does not mean that we need to become crooked. Submitting to your boss means that you respect his authority, you obey her commands up to the point of breaking your conscience toward God is what Peter says. That's how he... He puts it there. And when your boss wants you to disobey your conscience toward God and you refuse, prepare for the consequences. And if you are suffering for doing good, prepare for God to see you. And this is why it takes faith. Look again at verses 19 through 20. What does he say? He says, when you suffer for doing good, it's commendable. In the original language, this word here is translated charis, which is the Greek word for grace. When you suffer for doing good, what it is saying, it's translated grace or favor with God. 
So when you suffer for righteousness, there's this idea of the grace of God being extended to you when you endure suffering wrongfully. And then in verse 20, it ends with the same word. It is commendable to you when you suffer, when you suffer for God, when you suffer for doing right, when you suffer at the hands of your boss. So to me, it's a really interesting thought here. When you suffer for doing good and take it patiently, it is a grace-filled benefit to you. And the grace or favor of God is bestowed upon you for suffering for doing good. Now, there's two really important points to this, though. Suffering for good. It's not just suffering for good. What does he say? Look at, look, look at what he says there, verses 19 and 20. This is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults, you take it what? Patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable to God. Take it patiently. That's kind of hard, isn't it? Because here's the thing, is when we suffer at the hands of our bosses, what do we want to do? We want to whine, we want to complain, we want to gripe, we want to post to social media and get as many likes and people uh, uh, pitying us or empathizing or sympathizing or whatever word you want to use. But taking it patiently means that you endure it, that you persevere it. And so what does that require? Faith, right? Because when we suffer for doing good, we want everybody to hear about it. But what what God is inspiring Peter to say is this. When you suffer for doing good, don't tell anybody. Tell God. And endure it patiently. Take it patiently. That's, that's tough. That's tough. Because what we see in our culture today is people gripe about work no matter what. Even when they've got a good boss, they gripe about work. They gripe about their boss. And then in the middle of verse 20, it, it says something else very interesting. When you suffer for doing wrong... There is no credit, which is this word kleos. It it also translates fame or glory. You know, we live in a a culture today where everybody wants to be the center of attention. I mean, that's why social media is so popular. They want to post everything to social media and gain instant notoriety. And what Peter is saying is this, is when you suffer for doing uh, wrong, you deserve it. And there is no notoriety deserving for you. But when you suffer for doing good and you take it patiently, you get the greatest notoriety you could ever get, His. Now, I don't know about you, but I could care less about all the likes that I could get on Facebook. The only like I want is His. And when I take it patiently, and understand, you know, I realize I work for the church, I don't really suffer at the hands of an evil boss or anything like that. So it's, I understand this is kind of hard to apply, especially if you don't have a boss or you don't have any kind of suffering that you're going through right now. But understand, there, there may come a time. And suffering can look a lot of different, uh, uh, different in a lot of different ways. Understand when it comes, you need to prepare yourselves now to take it patiently. You need to prepare yourselves now to give it to God and rely on Him in faith. So now what? What what do we do with this idea of this suffering and and being a servant and and having a bad boss or a good boss? Well, remember, Peter is writing to Christians that were suffering because they claimed the name of Christ in a very lost world that was filled with all sorts of shameful, immoral actions. 
it is very likely that these Christians were working for men and women that requested demoralizing actions. In this culture that they were being, uh, that they were serving in, some of their bosses may have seen sexual immorality as a way of worshiping their false idols. They may have requested these kinds of demoralizing actions of their own servants. And it required them to submit, but take a stand for what is righteous. And so they very well would have been beaten. You don't want to do what we say? Then we're just going to beat you. We're we're just going to give you what you deserve because you won't do what we want you to. It's very likely these Christians were working for men and women that didn't care about their well-being. So in this kind of culture, in this kind of setting, they needed to hear that they had a God that did care about them. Is it any different in 2018? Do any of you not want to hear that you have a God, a shepherd, an overseer that cares about you? If there's something you can find hope in, isn't this the thing that you want to find hope in? That's why Jesus leaves us with these kinds of words that he says, understand there's coming trouble in this world, but I've overcome the world, so have peace, have comfort, have hope in me, because I'll never change and I'll never leave you and I'll never depart you. And listen, the lost world needs to see us being good employees, not whining and complaining, not causing issues, being different from the rest of the world, and respecting our employers. But also taking a stand for what is right, as Peter says, according to our conscience from God. Meaning, as far as what the Holy Spirit puts in us to know what is right and what is wrong. So how is this going to give them hope? How is this scripture going to give them hope? And in in turn, how does it give us hope here in 2018? Well, first off, we can have hope because what this means, if we're suffering for doing good, is we are becoming like Jesus. We are becoming like the shepherd. Peter uses a very powerful statement in verse 21. I don't know if you caught that or not. For to this you were called. What? To suffer? That seems to be what he's saying. This is our calling. It's the idea that God is calling us out continually to use us for this purpose. Faithfulness will lead to suffering, and this is the mark of our becoming more and more like Christ. But again, to suffer? Mark down these verses. I'm going to read them for you. This is in the book of 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 17, it says, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The case is, is that we may suffer for doing good. And I know here in Comino, Texas, we don't perhaps see that as a possibility, but do you realize there is a court case in California right now that is not a court case, it is a law trying to be passed by the California Senate that makes it unlawful to use scripture to uh, counsel someone uh, if they feel like homosexuality is wrong. Did you realize it is already law that that cannot happen if they are a minor. So in other words, if someone is under 18 and they go to a professional counselor and says, I'm dealing with homosexuality, I'm dealing with gender issues, that counselor would be breaking the law if he says, let me show you what scripture says. That is the culture that is headed our way. You may not know that, you may not feel that right now, but it's headed our way. And there is going to come a time when we will suffer for doing good. Listen, I want to suffer for doing good, not for doing evil. 
if you're going to jail for doing evil, then you deserve it. There's no credit for that. So don't get on Facebook and say how you were wronged, it, wronged by the law. But if you are going to jail for doing good, understand it is commendable to God. And you are becoming more and more like the Savior, like the shepherd. You know what, though? This, this whole, is it God's will for us to suffer? It shoots the whole prospering gospel theology in the foot. The prospering gospel theology says if you are faithful, God will give you a good life. And everything will be wonderful and merry. Then in those days and now, today, faithfulness to God is more often accompanied with suffering. But the key is found in verse 20, that we endure it patiently. That we do not go to the world with our troubles, but we go to the world, uh, go to the Lord, and that's what Jesus did. And if it was good enough for Jesus, then it's good enough for me. That's how the old song says, right? The world needs to see this example in us. Horrible bosses can expect to be disrespected. Horrible bosses can expect for their employees to complain against them. Let's give them the unexpected instead. And let's be submissive and let's be an empowering employee. Let's be respectful. Let's be an amazing example of what it looks like to be a Christian in this world. And this example we are given by Christ. Just look at the description we're given by Peter in these verses 21 through 23. It says, though he was reviled, in other words, though he was hated, though he was despised, he reviled not. Though he suffered, he suffered at the hands of evil men. It says he did not threaten. Listen, Jesus could have looked at those men that were striking him in the face, that were whipping him with a whip, and prophesied to them, listen, I know exactly when you're going to hell for refusing my name as Lord and Savior, but Jesus never made that statement. Instead, he showed mercy. And while he suffered, verse 23 says, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. That is, he committed himself to God the Father. A moment ago I said that submitting is hard because it requires us to put faith in God for how things will turn out. Jesus committing himself to the Father is exactly a picture of that. Trusting how things will turn out to God the Father. Do you believe that God will ultimately take care of you? This is what Jesus believed. Do we, do you, either here, he will either take care of us here or in heaven. There's nothing I find hope in better than this. Nobody can do anything to me here on earth. If they take my life, I will instantaneously be in the presence of the Lord. It gives me great hope. Does your hope lie in such a truth? Second, we can find hope because we have been redeemed by this suffering servant. Verse 24 is is just painting out the pictures of what Christ went through and how that paid the price, our penalty for our sin. Verse 22 is a restatement of Isaiah 53, 9, part of the prophecy of the suffering servant. It is the scripture that gives a broad stroke of what Jesus did to redeem us from our sins, the suffering he would go through. The hope is not only that we are being made to look like Christ, but Peter reminds us and he reminds the persecuted saints that in his suffering, Christ redeemed us. That in his suffering, Christ healed us. We would have no hope of heaven, no matter how good we were to our bosses, if it were not for Christ. Verse 24 tells us, through Christ's sufferings, he bore our sins. He took the payment of our sins. 
when he was on the cross, he drank from the cup of God's wrath poured out on him for our sins. And then it says, he healed us by his stripes. Referring to the stripes left behind by the whips of the guards, the whips that he endured while on earth, Jesus healed blind people and lame people with a spoken word just by willing it to be so. But to heal the sickness of our sin required for him to endure suffering. That's what it required to heal the sin, sickness that we suffer from. But get this, this is really, I find this, I don't know, maybe I'm just simple-minded. I find this connection really cool. So I told you a second ago that when we endure suffering patiently, it is commendable, which means that we have the favor or the grace of God on our lives for that moment. But the suffering of Christ has the grace of God on us for eternity. So the suffering you're going through here on earth, God gives you his favor to endure it. And he blesses you when you do so patiently. But the suffering Christ went through, which was far and away much worse than we'll ever face, bestowed God's grace on us for eternity, and that is what saves us. Praise God. And then finally, we can have hope because we have this great shepherd and overseer. Verse 25, just read that with me. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That again is a connection back to this Isaiah prophecy about the suffering servant and what did it say in Isaiah? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. What do stray sheep need? A shepherd. Thank you. Amen. We needed a shepherd because we were lost. We were straying sheep, and we didn't know how to get back to the shepherd. And so what did the shepherd do? He came and he found us. Praise God, the shepherd came and found us. In John chapter 10, Jesus is called the great shepherd. And when Jesus was on earth, he says the shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. If you have been born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, by placing your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, I almost said shepherd, as Lord and Savior and shepherd, understand the great shepherd is watching over you. He cares for you. He sees what you're going through. And when you are enduring the suffering patiently, nobody else may see it, but the shepherd sees it. Why? Because a shepherd always has his eyes on the sheep. Even when they're lost, the shepherd knows where that sheep is. I don't know about you, that gives me great hope. Listen, you may not know of any suffering that I ever go through. That's okay. My shepherd does. My God does. The other word he uses here is overseer. I like that word. Sometimes the Bible translates it bishop. The reason I like that word is that the root of this word is this Greek word skapas. And it's the word that we get our English word scope. As in periscope or stethoscope or microscope or telescope. It's an, ob or an instrument that is used to observe closely that which is far away. God is the great scope of all of humanity. We may feel like he is far away because he has this great vision, this great ability to see us right where we are. He is watching over you. 
Now, I know sometimes things on earth, on this planet, may seem tough, but be of good cheer. He's overcome this world. And while we may not realize the blessing of his comfort right now, there is coming a day when you will. Can you have faith in that? Can you have faith in that? It requires faith. It requires putting all of our hope in him. Not in what we can necessarily understand or see right now, but thankfully we have someone that sees so much better than we do, and he sees over our lives every moment of our lives. Praise God for a shepherd who sees us and knows us and knows what we are going through. I pray and I hope you can put your faith in him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are the great shepherd that sees us when we are lost, and you are the great shepherd that sees us when we are suffering. And Lord, that you have your hand on us, even at times when it doesn't feel like it, you have your hand on us. And Lord, may it, while it may be your will for us to suffer, Lord, we know that that suffering will not last forever. It's only this side of heaven. Father, there may be some here that have no hope of heaven. There may be some here that don't know you as shepherd, may not know you as the Lord of their life. And we want to give them an opportunity. Lord, would you just talk to their hearts this morning? Would you just touch their spirit? Allow them to see their desperate need for you as Lord and Savior, as shepherd and overseer of their lives. And Lord, may we be constantly reminded that you are not just watching us, but you are watching over us. And you know even better than we do what we're going through. So Lord, let us put all faith in you. Let us just put everything on you and find our grace and our favor from your hand. It's in your name I pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen.